everyone, Kyle here. And before we get into the first installment of our Communist Book Club, I wanted to give a little bit of background on myself and the goals for what we're going to be representing. In this series, we'll be taking an in-depth look at the rise and fall of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, also known as the USSR or the Soviet Union, the pros and cons of communism, and how to avoid logical fallacies equating 2020's capitalist system with 1930's communism. One might think that that, on its very own, the fact that there's almost 100 years in there of difference would be enough to help people disassociate the two. However, when we come to standards of living and all that such, you hear a lot of that in the mainstream today. A little background on myself before we get into the first book of the series. My interest in communism began in 2008 or 2009 when I was in my later years of high school. I was an only child, and as someone who, by the Myers-Briggs test, is considered a logician by nature, examining systems of government, of business, family structures, credibility that goes behind people's names, the public relations mechanisms put into play, all of that comes fairly naturally to me. Since I was a young kid, I've been going around analyzing things like that, some missteps as a child, and trying to explain to my parents the fault in their illogical arguments. But I will say this went somewhere. In college, I got a degree in communications with a focus on public relations. So when it comes to public speaking and such like that in a business or government to people sort of sense, I've got a degree in that and I'm bringing a little bit of that to the table. One of the largest strengths that you're going to need going through this series is critical thinking and analysis. It's going to be extremely important as many of the texts we'll look at over time are going to have an innate bias against communism. Something we really have to keep a lookout for, that many Western authors are the ones we have access to because of the lack of language barrier. However, someone studying the Soviet Union from in, within the United States, much like myself, lacks the hands-on knowledge. So in this case, we will be trying to sort out books that are thousands of miles separated from the incidents. Instead, to announce our very first book, we're going to be reading The Second Hand Time by Svetlana Aleksevich. Svetlana Aleksevich grew up and still lives within the ex-Soviet satellite state of Belarus. In fact, in the Belarusian uh, protests that have been going on during the summer and since then, she was actually called in to be questioned by the government, seeing as she took a uh, anti-Lukashenko approach and was to some degree, associated with the Resistance Party. I've chosen this book first because as I've listened to it, I've heard so many great accounts, firsthand accounts, interviews with people that survived the fall of the Soviet Union. People who got to see life before and after. To me, that's the most critical thing when analyzing communism. Because one of the largest attacks on it are conflated propaganda-style quote, life was so hard, end quote, approaches or excuses. These don't seem to fit with many of the narratives of the people that actually live there, which puts us in a huge, huge, huge academic issue. If we're to take a critical mind to it and say that Western authors that are living in the UK and the US are writing stories about people they've never met before and have only had information that itself has passed through kind of handlers, if you will, people that have translated it, actual governments choosing to release certain documents and findings. It gets into this questionable mindset of, wait, did the people that really put these things together, how many of them are real? That in itself will be a large problem again when we're looking at the Soviet Union because of the closed state system where information was not freely shared. 
That means there was a lot of room for both people living within the union at the time, and especially those outside of it, to create their own stories. As I've been experiencing in my other podcasts where we do extensive research into events, we recognize how much the telephone game goes into play for these. What comes as a true story, quote true story, from one person's mouth can easily become perverted into something completely different two people later. That's my fear for a lot of what we'll discuss. We are not going to shy away from or overly sugarcoat the things that happened at the time. We're going to talk about Stalin's purges. We're going to talk about some of the harder and grim aspects of life there. We're going to talk about the arrests, the camps, and other things. One thing I ask all my listeners, especially United States listeners, that may come into this with a we're better than them sort of mentality. The important thing to take away from this is seeing exactly what we were condemning of the Soviet Union and how we are explicitly following in those exact footsteps today. This is all a reminder to say that our examination is not about pointing fingers. And assuming you aren't one of the 1% out there, none of this is going to have any impact on your life. The communism that I advocate for is one that doesn't affect people's private property or possessions. We live in a very interesting world in 2020, which is, again, why I bring it up that we do not live in the same value system as, as back then in, in the 30s to 70s window. We have hyper-capitalists now that have more money than someone could ever dream of. And again, if you're listening to this, you are not one of them. And if you are, give me a paycheck, baby. Uh, even $100,000 is nothing to our billionaires now. So we have a problem. If we can no longer pursue the more traditional style of working for your own means, if we can't pursue the idea that your, your labor is actually worth something, if in the United States, for example, we can't even unionize in certain areas, we're facing a problem that is going to affect the listener, the people that are not the ultra-rich, the people that are actually in the trenches with their hands dirty and they're working hard. They're working for their family. They're working for a better life tomorrow. What we've seen is the better life tomorrow part has evaporated and transformed itself into work harder, work more. Did I say you could take a break? Work harder, work more. Why are you asking for a pay raise? Work harder, work more. Why would you need health care? Work harder, work more. You don't deserve that house. So keep in mind, what system are we looking at now? Are we the evil empire that we accuse the Soviet Union of being? In my mind, yes. But that doesn't mean the hope is lost. As an American patriot, I think we can turn our country around. My goals, especially going into this series, my goal is that all people should have options and means to progress themselves in a way that our states, our funding can currently handle. I can't speak to every place in the world, but as one with a critical eye can see, our governments have a lot of money in their pockets. They spend it very quickly on things that, as we're seeing during this pandemic, do not go back to helping the everyman or woman. These issues, these, these money sinks that we have do not result in kids getting a better education. They don't result in children having a better tomorrow. And they sure as heck don't make our kids have an easier life tomorrow than we had today. And at the end of the day, isn't that the goal of human existence? Don't we want the people that come next to have it easier? Well, I do. And if you do too, I welcome you into this series. 
That will be your homework before we officially start our first chapter's review. Finding your morals. What matters to you? Do you value human life as a whole? Largely speaking these days, probably not, or at least not to the degree we should. We have been jaded by the amount of media we see. We see drone strikes in Syria that the U.S. government carries out. And the way it's portrayed here, no one cries. No one jumps out of bed to start a change. When those start to happen, they're quashed. And we don't have a lot of the tools at our current disposal to fix these things. Again, when you see a homeless person, do you jump to save them? Do you jump to get them housed? Do you jump to, to help? What, what action do you take? This is not me saying that you are solely responsible for any of these things. But as a system, we have the money to pen stroke it into effect. Meaning we need just a couple officials at a local, state, or federal level to sign off on things and make money go to the right people. Let's face it, if any of our politicians are doing anything but helping these people, they are willingly choosing not to. Because again, they have the time, they have the means, they have the authority. So why not? What's keeping them from doing it? Is it because they think that their constituents won't like helping others? And if so, that's a huge problem. If half of our society or anything close to half feel similar, that we shouldn't care about others and nurture them, that people are not entitled to an education, a home, or healthcare, that's a problem. Those people are working against us as individuals. So how do we fix it? That's what we'll examine as we get into the secondhand time. I hope you've enjoyed this little opener and I hope it sets the stage for what I intend to accomplish here. I am someone, again, with a degree in communications, though I spent most of my college days actually studying history and taking history classes on World War II, on the Holocaust, on, as best I could, Soviet history, though you'll probably hear later that that wound up being a bigger uh, issue because we don't teach that very readily in many of our colleges in the States. If you want to get a history degree in that, you probably have to actually seek that university out because of it. I went to a very strong history college in Pennsylvania, and though some of those classes were listed, they were no longer being offered. Ultimately, I feel like I missed out on that. In hindsight, could have been for the better. My history on my own has, again, revolved around people's firsthand books. When you're going and looking into something like this, I welcome people from both sides, those that are against communism and for it, this is a great chance to try to peel back both sides' misconceptions. Because I assure you, not one of us out there right now has the absolute right story. It's just, it's impossible. To think otherwise is an affront to history. As we see with any book, bias is written into it. You can selectively take which accounts you want, etc., etc., etc. I think secondhand time will be very, very impressive to folks out there because there are both aspects in there. Secondhand time, the last of the Soviets, you'll hear both. And I admit, that might make you a little sad. This book is not the happiest of happy books, because at times, you're going to be hearing people yell about how the government did them wrong. On the other hand, you're going to be hearing people yell at how people sold out the country. It's tough, but it's good. Because getting through that toughness gives us a real appreciation, not the one that's taught in high school courses, ooh, communism, evil, death camps. Hello, we interned Japanese people in the United States, but that doesn't really get into as many school textbooks. Huh, that happened right here in Utah, too, where I am. So again, let's just be a little cautious. That's all I ask is people to hold off 
We're definitely not attacking each other in these debates. And I will say at the very start of this podcast, none of that will be welcome. Only good-hearted conversations will be entertained within the podcast. Though we welcome people to write into the show, anything negative will be blocked, banned, destroyed, deleted, and sent out there into the void. To all of those that are very excited to have something intellectually stimulating, and by the way, apparently one of the first communist book club podcasts on iTunes and the rest, huzzah! Well, also, there you go. There's the plug. Subscribe. Spotify, iTunes, and more. Any of your favorite podcast players... For this very first book club experiment, I'm going to be testing my own schedule to see if it allows for me to read and make notes on it the way I would like. With that being said, The Second Hand Time, The Last of the Soviets by Svetlana Alexevich. We will be getting through chapters one through three, and that podcast episode should be out next week. Subscribe, tell your friends, let's change the world. See you comrades next week. Wait, I forgot one last thing. That is to say, most all the books we use on the show here will be available in some sort of audio format, primarily up on Audible. If you want to grab yourself a free credit, which is a free book, and help the show out at the same time at no extra cost, it is audibletrial.com forward slash KDS. I will have that link in the description below. But that is where I highly recommend you check out the book for this, uh, this month's journey. And then also, if you're buying it in a physical hardback or paperback form, consider uh, the link below for Amazon. That gives us a kickback as well. If you want to support something even better, try your local book retailer. But this one might be a stretch.